0: We all have stories to tell about this past week. Some of them, if we're lucky, may one day be sought out by our children and grandchildren. It has been a week of apocalyptic for many of us. Yes, it has felt like it is that apocalyptic in the sense of the sky is falling. But in the oldest sense of apocalypsis, it has been a week that has revealed profound truths about who we are as a people and as human beings inhabiting a notable moment in history. Here are two of my stories to add to the mix. One of my brothers was out walking in his zucchetto, his funny hat, and profession cross on the streets of Denver on Friday when he heard a stream of profanity coming from behind him. His first impulse was to think it was an angry homeless person, as he frequently spends time with the homeless and sits compassionately with them in the midst of their many frustrations. But when he turned around, he realized the invective was directed at him from a pickup truck parked nearby. And when the man yelling obscenities saw Brother James Patrick's cross, he stopped immediately and sped away. James Patrick realized the man had clearly seen only the Zucchetto first, and he realized that had triggered a disturbing sea of anti-Semitism. Late in the day on Thursday, I received a request for prayer from one of our bishops of color, who had received hateful emails fueled by both the heat and the outcome of the election. Moreover, the bishop was about to visit and help minister to the needs of a congregation that had just watched a KKK office open right next door. Apocalypsis. The revelation of reality as it truly is. Now, it's easy for many of us to lay blame solely at the feet of our president-elect, whose rhetoric brought much of this to the surface, but the fault, as Cassius says to Brutus in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, is not in our stars, reality TV or otherwise, but in ourselves. Donald Trump did not create this, though he did embolden it with no small help from the press. The crack in us, the crack where this sin of racism, along with its accompaniment of misogyny and homophobia and a host of other old bigotries and abuses, bubble up, this crack in us points to some long-standing divisions in our society. We have long lived in bubbles pitted against each other, This week, these bubbles, these temples of ideology and privilege and cultural and economic resentment burst into conflict. And the truth about our divisions, not fully realized even by our best pundits and political elites, was laid bare. In today's Gospel, Luke draws us deep into apocalyptic beginning with Jesus' warning about the temple in Jerusalem being thrown down. Scholars will likely debate until the end of time just how much of this is Jesus' original teaching and how much of this is Luke's capturing the collective trauma of the temple's destruction by the Romans in 70 AD. That singular event, threw both wider Judaism and, to some extent, early second-generation Christianity, into a deep crisis of place, and identity. We know with some greater certitude that the temple in Jesus' day was not just a center for a faith tradition, but a metaphor for God's strength and solidarity with the Jewish people. Jesus' contemporaries would have likely seen it not just as a triumph of the ancient line of King David, but as a testament to the Maccabean revolt just 200 years earlier, in which a popular Jewish uprising overthrew the Seleucid Empire's grip on Jerusalem and reclaimed the tradition's temple, which had been desecrated. The temple was a metaphor in the common mind for the inviolability of the Jewish faith, the ultimate power of the Israelites' God, and probably an inspiration for dreams that one day soon the Roman Empire itself would be tossed out of Judea. Now, the Romans had been smart enough to leave the temple alone and simply co-opt its leadership into an uneasy political truce. And that left the empire access to hold the rest of powers to the east at bay and allow some tribute to flow to Rome while keeping much of the wider Jewish populace in line. But the temple was also a metaphor for the religious bubble of the ancient Israelites temple cult was a seemingly indispensable part of Jewish identity in the period, a towering institution so sacred in its own right that Jesus and his radical vision of a God accessible to even the least of these posed a serious threat to the temple authorities, a serious threat to the stability in Judea, a serious threat even to the Roman authorities who were charged to keep that uneasy peace all the more reason that Jesus' prediction of the temple being thrown down would have deeply alarmed his disciples. Who were they without the temple? And with their bubble of protection gone, where would they turn to cling to their sense of safety in God? And if Jesus was threatening, as he seemed to be in so many of his teachings, the well-guarded solidity of this supposedly immortal institution, Were they, too, under threat? So, with only a little imagination, we can relate the apocalyptic event of today's gospel to the overthrow or the bursting of our bubbles this week. I grew up in one of them, the bubble of the Midwest, known for its conservatism and safety and relative religious and cultural homogeneity, its bootstrap pragmatism and plain-spoken, down-to-earth, unpretentious reasoning. I live now in the other bubble, the affluent, liberal, diverse coast. For years, these two bubbles have been struggling for ascendancy and political power, and both have harbored mutual grudges for generations, rooted in an old, urban, rural, north-south affluent, poor division that predates our republic. They collided in the election this week, right along an uneasy seam in our constitutional democracy. And when they collided, they burst into a spray of smaller bubbles. Here are just a few I noticed, the bubble of privilege that some of our bishops inhabit. Some of the bishops in our own church as they resorted to easy platitudes to address the surprise and fear and the uncertainty and suffering, the outcome that this election has wrought. The bubble of the punditry and media who largely misread the tea leaves when it came to the election's outcome. The bubble of the so-called alt-right, which has been feeding resentment in the Midwest and more rural and working-class parts of our country for years. The bubble of the elites in both political parties who were upstaged by a reality television star with a unique ability to sniff out resentment and whip it into a voting block. The bubble of American exceptionalism, which made the temple of our constitutional democracy seem inviolable and eternal when it is, in fact, still experimental and more fragile than many of us would care to admit. Of course, our president-elect himself now steps into another bubble, the Washington Beltway, with its maze of bureaucratic temples and its own highly trained and wary political priestly class. He seemed to discover more reality than television as the transition began this week. And his populist agenda may prove to be just as fickle, vulnerable, to popular opinion, vulnerable to a profoundly divided electorate, vulnerable to the elite power brokers who surround him on every side, just as fickle as a television persona can be. I would dare say it's a bit of an apocalyptic moment for him as well, not necessarily one that he anticipated, because the whole thing could turn on him in a heartbeat and no tweet would save him politically. And so we rightly pray for him too this morning and for the office intended to represent all of us that he is preparing to inhabit. Meanwhile, the streets are hosting protesters along with a handful of violent opportunists, a kind of apocalyptic vision not lacking resonance with previous apocalyptic moments in our common history when truth, long buried, ignored, or spun into something false, is at last revealed and undeniable. This election galvanized one portion of the electorate while clearly alienating another. And if you were like me, you woke up on Tuesday morning thinking you were going to be on one side of that divide, and on Tuesday night, ended up on the other. Moving beyond this requires more than platitudes or retreating into our old bubbles of privilege, grudges, and comfort. It requires grace and courage of the like many of us may not have seen in at least a generation. It will not be resolved easily or soon, and we may all feel we are wandering in the wilderness with our temple thrown down for a time, if not now, and soon. All right then, Helmers, so we live in apocalyptic times. What's a Christian to do? We are blessed in a way that we are not likely to be hauled before kings and governors on account of Jesus' name, at least not yet. But our country's founders placed the age-old powers of governors and kings ultimately in the hands of the electorate. So we need to realize that we don't have to wait to be handed over to the authorities. We are already in the midst of them each and every day, and we are called to bear witness. Someone asked me this week what to do to show solidarity to those who are feeling most under threat this season, particularly immigrants and religious minorities and our LGBT sisters and brothers and Many, many more. How can we show solidarity to all of these millions all at once, all of them who are currently searching for a sense of direction and safety? Jesus' direction to his disciples is to testify in the moment where they find themselves, not to prepare in advance. we must learn how to trust in the promise of Christ's presence here and now, speaking through us, standing with us. There were reports this week all over the social media and in the wider press about individuals who were in the moment facing down small acts of racism and prejudice Both major political parties banded together in one of our states to confront the promise of a white supremacist rally. Brother James Patrick continued on to an interfaith service to join in solidarity with Christians, Jews, Muslims, and those of other faiths, praying hard for the man who blindsided him with anti-Semitism. The bishop I mentioned surrounded himself with his counselors and supporters and went to attend to the faithful witness of a congregation as they confronted resurgent, organized bigotry. In the coming days, we will each be called upon to stand up in various ways and be counted to say no to vile prejudice of any raw evil that believes it has been given opportunity in this unsettled time to say yes to solidarity with the vulnerable and the hurting. We may need to do what hosts of diverse students and citizens are doing and join hands and peacefully march, as much to demonstrate our solidarity with each other as to protest the divisive rhetoric that will probably be long remembered as a hallmark of this election season. We may all need to engage and hold our newly elected leadership accountable in ways that we do not yet expect, regardless of whether we were elated, bitter, or simply bewildered by the election's outcome. It is not too late to repudiate rhetoric that poisoned us all in this campaign. We should do that. We should seek that. We should pray for that. It remains critical to teach our children about the whispered and hidden sins of our society that were revealed in this apocalyptic moment. And it remains hugely important to reach out to those who differ from us. Even now more especially with our various bubbles burst and on edge and build together a new moment of mutual respect and understanding, even common purpose. For the future that the world, the earth, and future generations need. And in this, we will bear the same witness we engage each Sunday as we gather from our many walks of life, with hands outstretched, approaching God's table for the body and blood of Christ. For the faith within us is not ultimately confined to a single temple or demographic or bubble of the body politic. It is meant to be proclaimed and administered for all, especially now when the bubbles that divide us are revealed. And Christ summons us to step out of whatever bubble we inhabit, to step out as emissaries of compassion into the highways and byways, the rifts and chasms of our common life. Emissaries of healing, emissaries of compassion, emissaries of a new kingdom of truth, a new temple of grace that is meant for all, promised by God to rise out of the rubble of the old. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907.